Are you not glad this morning that what we expect and our hope is not just here on earth? Uh, I've heard people say, well, this is heaven right here. But then I've heard people say, this is hell right here. Now, what I read in the Bible tells me there's no way that you could confuse the two places. Amen? Uh, so therefore, this cannot be heaven here on earth. And no, it cannot be hell either. They are two separate places. One God has reserved for those that accept His love and His grace. The other is for those who reject. And often people will ask the question, how could a God of love send somebody to hell? How could He allow a place like that to even exist if He's truly of love? Well, let me ask you a question. And I'm not here to explain God. I don't believe God needs explaining. Amen? But just a simple question... The Bible tells us of God's love that Jesus came and wrapped himself in human flesh, endured such contradiction of sinners against himself, died on the cross. If you were here for Sunday school, we had the story of the resurrection. God did all of these things to tell us and show us his love. What in the world is he supposed to do? with someone so arrogant and so full of hate and so full of self that they reject that love. What is he to do? Someone would say, well, he should just let him into heaven anyway. Wait a minute. That's not justice now, is it? That's not peace. You never accomplish anything in this life by letting the devil have his way. I wish we could teach some of our politicians that. Of course, maybe they're all on the same side. I, I don't know. We'll have to wait till we get to heaven to figure that one out. But as I was working on, on the sermon this week, this idea of expectation came into my mind. I, I don't know exactly where it, it came from. I hope and trust that it was the Lord Jesus Christ and not my brain just taking out the trash. But uh, the simple truth is, summer is upon us and there's a lot of people expecting a lot of things. I, I'm going to get a break. I'm going to get a vacation. Uh, I'm going to... Uh, do this or I'm going to do that. I'll tell you one thing I'd like to do is finish construction, but I don't know if it's going to happen this summer or not, but we're working on it. Um, Charles Dickens wrote a novel, Great Expectations. Now, I hope you're intelligent enough to read the book and not watch the filthy Hollywood perversion of it, but the simple truth of the matter is as human beings, we all expect things. In fact, one of the greatest problems with the word love when it is applied to human beings is expectations are attached. I'll love you, and they talk about uh, these people who are supposed to know 
all of these things. They say, you know, marriage really was a social arrangement. Uh, the woman traded her, uh, her own uh, uh, direction in her life and the ability to take care of herself because she couldn't protect herself. She wants security, so she married a husband. Um, excuse me. How are the aborigines supposed to be smart enough to figure that one out on their own? You ever ever think about this? Has there ever been a society known to man that worked? I'm sorry, communism never worked. But has there ever been a society known to man that has not had marriage as a part of it? Wonder where that came from. It wasn't some social arrangement that was made. In fact, uh, some Hollywood freak decided they would raise their child non-gender. Now, they would give them dolls and army men to play with, and they would give them a name that would go for either guy or girl, and they would let this child decide what it was after it grew up and figured out you know, that kind of confusion, there's nothing that destroys more than total permissiveness. You ever wonder why God doesn't give you everything you want? Because it would destroy you. He loves you a little more than that, amen? Expectation is a very scary thing. It can take something that is good and right and wonderful and destroy it. So I tell young couples, as you're dating, keep your hands off. You don't need to kiss every guy in the county to find out what a good kisser is. Because once you get married... If you're like the rest of us, you're not going to pick the right one. And you'll be wishing you were kissing someone else. But I'll tell you what, when you marry in God's way, ignorance is bliss. Amen? Because I don't care how beautiful or how whatever. I mean, this is church. We can be honest at church, right? Uh, have you looked in the mirror lately? What was there ain't there now. It changes, doesn't it? It takes more than just that to have a real relationship. The world expects things. But I want to challenge you today, if you're a believer in this book called the Bible, there are some things that you ought to expect. There are some promises in this book that God has given to those, not to everyone, my friend, but to them that believe on his name. Now, I don't know how to do this. I've tried to communicate this. I believe we have to a certain degree. 
But I want you to, to think with me this morning, if we were to stop eight of ten people on the sidewalk out there and say, do you believe in Jesus? I think most people would say, yeah. But then when you say, does your belief in Jesus demand that you show up in church every Sunday morning, Sunday night, and Thursday night as services are? Oh, no, I don't believe in that kind of Jesus. You say, do you love Jesus? Oh, I love Jesus. Well, if you love Jesus, the Bible says you'll keep his commandments. And part of his commandments say that we ought not fill ourselves full of the trash and the degradation of the world. Pastor, are you talking about getting rid of cable again? Yes, I am. It's a sewer pipe connected to your whatever room in fact, sometimes you can have multiple inlets. Uh, I've had to fix sewer pipes in this building. It's not fun. One time it backed up and went down into the little sump pump room here where all the sewage goes out of the building and it was actually raining. The water had gone up the wall and come out a crack in the pipe and was dripping down and you had to stand in the rain shower to unplug the pipe so the water... Oh, that was fun, let me tell you. But you pay for it. And bring it right into your house. I was in the barber shop and some car goes by with the stereo turned way up loud and whatever poor excuse for human degradation was shouting words, it was all utter vile profanity and I just mentioned to the barber do you think that anybody out there is really dumb enough to pay somebody to curse at them I mean when I was a kid if somebody cursed at you uh, those you, you couldn't let that go unanswered because people would think bad about you let me illustrate Blue Jackets Manual. Any Navy people here today? 1942. Somebody gave us a copy of it. I was flipping through and it said, an officer was walking down one of the upper catwalks on the ship and he heard two sailors and the one was cursing at the other one. He said, I immediately wrote both of them up and put them on report. He said, I wrote up the first sailor because he was cursing his fellow sailor. I wrote up the second one because he didn't object to it, so therefore it must have been true. You know, there are some things that you ought to object to. It's a scary world in which we live. I'm glad my expectations... Don't lie. Do not, are not founded upon the lives of Hollywood and politics and Wall Street and all of these things. I want you to look with me in Romans chapter 8 this morning. And we're going to cover a rather large passage of Scripture. We're going to start in verse 16 and go through the end of the chapter. But 
Where we're going to start this morning is at the end. Because these are the expectations here. These are, are, are what belong to someone who has put their faith in Jesus Christ. Not just say, I believe in Jesus, but believe in Jesus to the saving of the soul. No, it's not a process, my friend. It is an event. But when your faith is truly in the Lord Jesus Christ, he changes you. He cannot let you stay that way. He loves you so much, you can only come to him just as you are. But he won't let you stay that way. Jesus demands change. Now look at verse 31. What shall we then say to these things? If God be for us, who can be against us? Sometimes people look and they say, Pastor, you're not really as concerned as you ought to be with all of these world events going on. No. I'm more concerned about this verse right here. If God be for us, who can be against us? Amen. This is an expectation. This is a promise. It says, He that spared not his own son, but delivered him up for us all, how shall he not with him also freely give us all things? If God did not withhold Jesus, what would he withhold from you that is good, my friend? That's what the Bible's saying here. This is our expectation, number one. He that cometh to God must believe that he is, amen, and that he is the rewarder of them that diligently seek him. Don't you try to tell me how bad God is or he made a mistake. I'm going to stop you. Because that's not the God of the Bible. That's the God of this world. And many worship him thinking they're worshiping the God of the Bible. But you got to get the characteristics. They will tell you which is the right one and what is true. And so as we read through here, it says, Who shall lay anything to the charge of God's elect? It is God that justifieth. Who is he that condemneth? It is Christ that died, yea, rather that is risen again, who is even at the right hand of God, who also maketh intercession for us. Who shall separate us from the love of Christ? Shall tribulation or distress or persecution or famine or nakedness or peril or sword? As it is written, for thy sake we are killed all the day long. We are accounted as sheep for the slaughter. Nay, in all these things we are more than conquerors through him that loved us. For I am persuaded that neither death nor life nor angels nor principalities nor power nor things present nor things to come, nor height, nor depth, nor any other creature shall be able to separate us from the love of God, which is in Christ Jesus our Lord. I'll tell you what, those are some pretty great expectations, are they not? But I want you to understand something. All of those horrible things that are listed there, are happening to the people who have these expectations. He said they're counted as sheep for the slaughter. 
The history of true Christianity is written in the blood of those that believed it. Many times by the hands of those that profess to be Christians. I'll tell you what. No true believer in Christ has ever grabbed a sword or a gun or a weapon of any kind to try to convince someone else to serve Christ. That doesn't happen according to the scriptures. I get so sick of these atheists. Freedom of religion, freedom of religion. You don't have the right to tell us what to believe. Listen, if you want to go to hell, sir, we can't stop you, nor would we if we could. But will you at least allow us to understand life according to the Scripture and warn you before you fall over the edge? Is that asking too much? And if it is, you go find your planet that your non-God created and you live on it. Amen? While the rest of us are going to live where God created us and at least take and fulfill the God-given responsibility of saying, would you at least stop and think about it before you reject the God of this Bible? But Christians have suffered. And God says, through the Apostle Paul in this passage, nay, in all these things, what are these things? Tribulation, distress, persecution, famine, nakedness, peril, and sword. Killed all the day long, accounted as sheep for the slaughter. It says, we are more than conquerors through him that loved us. Isn't it interesting that Communism, as it once existed in the 50s and 60s, is dead today. The church is still here. Amen. Uh, the Roman Empire that put so many to death in the early centuries of our, of our time period, in the year of our Lord, the Roman Empire doesn't exist today. Uh, this book still does. The philosopher Voltaire said, in my lifetime, the Bible will be put on shelves and people will read my books. How many of you have ever actually read Voltaire? Okay, one paragraph in a literature book or something like that. How many of you brought your Bible with you today? You see... My expectation is not in this world. And one of the greatest problems we have is we have a Christianity that is preached today whose expectation and benefit is only in this world. That you'll have a nice car, that you'll have money in the bank, that you'll have... Uh, good health all your life and that nothing will ever bother you or trouble you. Uh, let, let me warn you today, fantasy land does not exist. 
Nobody lives like that. But my expectation isn't here on earth. My expectation is in heaven. My expectation is with the Lord Jesus Christ. And I have failed him many times. So have you. But when I face him, it won't be because of what I've done. It'll be because of what he has done for me. Could you say amen to that? Now, I want us to go back and and get the reason for these promises here. We start in verse 16. The Spirit itself beareth witness with our spirit that we are the children of God, and if children, then heirs, heirs of God and joint heirs with Christ, if so be that we suffer with him, that we may be also glorified together. For I reckon that the sufferings of this present time are not worthy to be compared with the glory which shall be revealed in us. For the earnest expectation of the creature waiteth for the manifestation of the sons of God. Now this first point this morning is long. Paul spends more time on this issue than he does really anything else other than the last part uh, of this verse that said, If God be for us, who can be against us? We've already read those verses But here he is talking about the knowledge of our salvation. You know how many churches preach salvation? Say, you can be saved? Says, yes, pastor, I understand. I receive Jesus as my Savior every time I take Mass. That's not what the Bible's talking about, my friend. Mass is not in the Scripture. It's an invention by mankind. Because when you receive Jesus as your Savior, it is a one-time event that gives you God's power to be born into his family. We are not Buddhists here today. We do not believe in many births. We do not believe in reincarnation. We believe that you have one life and that you have one choice that will determine everything in that life. And that one choice is will you believe Jesus Christ? He has already done everything necessary to be your Savior. But He will not save you unless you ask Him. He will not save you unless you choose Him to be your Savior. Say, I'm I'm not sure that he wants to save me. That's disbelieving the word of God. The Bible says that he is a propitiation for our sins and not for our sins only, but also for the sins of the whole world. The Bible says, for whosoever shall call upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. The Bible is full of examples of people who you and I would write off as never being a partaker of the grace of God. Uh, 
But God gave them his grace anyway. You know why? Because they asked for it, my friend. They stopped trying to provide for it themselves. They stopped trying to earn it. They just simply asked for it, and he saved them. You read in your Bible, you'll have a hard time finding anyone more wicked than Manasseh, the son of Hezekiah. You say, I don't even know who that is. Well, come on Sunday school. We go through the Bible one story at a time, the whole way through the Bible, and when we're done, we start over again. We've been through the Bible about six, seven times. Six times we're on our seventh time through the Scriptures. And it's taken us about 18, 19 years. And uh, should the Lord give us another 18, 19 years, I'll be up there saying, now, was it 15 or 16 times? But we're going to keep going through the Bible Because you need to know who these people are. It helps you understand what God is talking about. But you see, God has given us something. It's called hope. Let's read on. For the creature, verse 20. 19, I'm sorry. For the earnest expectation of the creature waiteth for the manifestation of the sons of God. For the creature was made subject to vanity, not willing, but by reason of him who hath subjected the same in hope. Because the creature itself also shall be delivered from the bondage of corruption into the glorious liberty of the children of God. For we know that the whole creation groaneth and travaileth in pain together unto now. And not only they, but ourselves also, which have the firstfruits of the Spirit, even we ourselves groan within ourselves, waiting for the adoption to wit the redemption of our body. For we are saved by hope, but hope that is seen is not hope. For what a man seeth, why doth he yet hope for? But if we hope for that which we see not, then do we with patience wait for it. I've not received the full of what God promised me when he saved me on August 28, 1977. Because I'm still stuck in this sinful, rotten flesh. Somebody said, well, let's just go to heaven and get it over with. No, God has a purpose for us being here. And part of that purpose is this thing called hope. You see, I'm hoping for things I cannot see. What I'm hoping for is to be set free from the bondage that is in this body. This body tends towards sin. That is its natural slant. But when I get to heaven, I'm not going to be tempted anymore. Just think about that. What a joy that will be. When I get to heaven, I'm not going to have to fight with myself and say, you need to read your Bible today. You're the preacher. No. You need to read your Bible today because Jesus is your Savior. 
Amen? You say, I never struggle with Bible reading. Well, good for you. But you struggle with other things because you're human. Amen? If you're not struggling, I'll tell you why. Because you're not doing anything. That's why. Nothing comes without struggle. Don't run from it. Embrace it because it's that struggle that our hope is wrapped up in. You say, but the closer I get to God, the more failure I see. Welcome to true Christianity, my friend. If you could truly see Jesus, if he were to walk in that back door, you would be so ashamed. You'd do exactly what Adam and Eve did in the garden. You'd hide. Because the first thing you will see about God is his holiness. The second thing you will see is your corruption. But be assured, my friend, he loves you anyway. Don't use his love as an excuse to sin. But thank God, praise his name, that he says he's given us the hope that we will be set free from this flesh and this world in which we live. You see, if we have hope, then we wait for it. My daughter planted some strawberry plants in those funny-looking pots out in the side yard last summer. I think we got eight strawberries or something like that. They were the most expensive strawberries in the world, if you do them by the pound. But this year, I think we got well over a quart almost a half a gallon of strawberries out of those same plants. And I'll tell you what, they were good. They didn't last long, but they were good. You see, there was an expectation last fall when things started getting cold. And I can't remember who went and found the straw. I think I had something to do with that. And, and said, Daddy, I need straw. Why? Because we got to protect our plants. I said, they're just going to... No, if we do what they say, they'll be there next spring. Well, guess what? They were there next spring. They had an expectation. And it was granted. Now, that's just a little thing. Unless you really love strawberries. Amen. But you see, God puts things like that in our life so we will patiently wait for him to do his work in his time. But it's not yours unless you get saved first. You must leave the world and embrace Christ. The, book, the Christ of this book called the Bible is not a unionist. 
And I'm not talking about the Civil War. What I'm talking about is people who just hook up with everybody. We're all together. We all serve the same God. No, we do not. Your God tells you to go out and kill people. That's not my God. That's not the God of the book called the Bible. It's got to be another one, my friend. My God tells me to do the best I can and he'll understand. That's not my God. That's not the God of the Bible. He will not accept the best that you can do. It must be his way. That's why Jesus said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No man cometh unto the Father but by me. I'm waiting. I'm going to get rid of this old physical body. Seems to get older every year for some strange reason. I think God gives us old age. I'm not there yet, but God gives us old age to make us slow down a little bit and listen to him a little more. Wouldn't hurt, now would it? But look at verse 26 with me. Likewise, the Spirit also helpeth our infirmities. Now remember, we are groaning under the pain of our infirmities and our weaknesses. Likewise, the Spirit also helpeth our infirmities, for we know not what we should pray for as we ought. But the Spirit itself maketh intercession for us with groanings which cannot be uttered. And he that searcheth the hearts knoweth what is the mind of the Spirit, because he maketh intercession for the saints according to the will of God. Now I'll tell you what, these two verses are among the most misunderstood in all the Scripture. I've met people and they say, well, I pray with the groanings which cannot be uttered. Um, did you hear what you just said? It says those groanings cannot be... It's the Spirit that uttereth them in me. That's not what it says. It says they cannot be uttered. I've known people who through earnestness and burden of their own spirit have made all kinds of unusual noises during the prayer, but don't blame that on the Holy Spirit of God. When the Holy Spirit of God intercedeth for you, He does it in a way that only God can hear and know what is being communicated. Don't put yourself in there. You'll mess it all up, just like people who put their self in the equation of salvation. You know, the biggest hindrance to getting your prayers answered? Hold up a mirror and look in it. That's your biggest hindrance to getting prayers answered. That same Holy Spirit of God that allows us to wait patiently for the redemption of the body intercedes for us and prays for us according to the will of God. I've often pictured it like this. We pray under the influence of the Holy Spirit 
in Jesus' name to God the Father. That's the biblical pattern of prayer. And so as we begin to pray, the Holy Spirit has some kind of racket or a baseball bat or something and says, not this one, reject, not this one, reject, not this one, reject. He doesn't have anything to pray right. He said, let me pray for him. You ever wonder why things happen to you that you didn't pray for? It's because the Holy Spirit of God is praying for you. The only thing is, He knows what to pray for. You don't. Every once in a while, the Holy Spirit says, Ah, I can use this one. We'll send it on up the line. Amen? And the more surrendered you get to God, the more of your prayers they get through. Because... God is not going to accept foolish, selfish, sinful prayers. He just doesn't accept them. By the way, He's listening to them. He hears them all. But He's not going to accept them as worship. In fact, if it weren't for the Holy Spirit of God, none of us would have a prayer relationship with God at all. Now, it gets real quiet when you talk like that because we think we know what God wants us to pray for. Don't you tell me that, preacher. I'm not telling you the Apostle Paul is, okay? We don't know how to pray for what we ought. Our heart is so deceitful. It is desperately wicked. It will justify anything. One of those filthy country singers wrote a song, Heaven's Just a Sin Away. Somebody in the rock world, I think, wrote, Heaven is a place on earth. Let me tell you, they're both liars. But if they were to be given a lie detector test, I think they'd pass because they really believe that drivel. We want to believe that we want what is right. Every man did that which was right in their own eyes. There are very few people indeed that get up in the morning and say, what is evil? Hmm, I want to do something today. I praise God that there are not very many of those out there. But there's a whole lot of people that think right is wrong and wrong is right. You see, your prayer life needs to be the work of the Holy Spirit of God in your heart. How is that going to happen? I lock myself alone in a room and turn off all the lights until I feel the Spirit. Well, you may just have felt the mousetrap that you put in there six months before and forgot about, amen? I'll tell you what. 
I don't want my feelings to determine my relationship with God. Because you put on a sad movie, guess what I'm going to do? I'm going to cry. And it's all fake! But you know what? For years in my life, I couldn't cry. Because I held things in. And so I let the tears flow. Even if it's stupid. Because I want them to be able to flow when it's real. Amen? I want my prayer life to be connected to the work of the Holy Spirit in my life. Here's how you know if the Holy Spirit's working. Does it agree with the written word of God? That's how you can know. Is it written down? If it's not written down, it's not the Holy Spirit of God. If it is written down, then you can rest assured that it is the work of the Holy Spirit of God. Now make sure you understand what's written down. Pay attention, study the Bible, keep it in its context. We don't have time to make all the connections here this morning, but Ephesians chapter 6 is the armor of God. And so many foolish people think that God has given us the sword of the Spirit to slay the enemy. That job belongs to Jesus. The only thing you're going to accomplish... Swinging the sword of the Spirit is hurting people that don't need to be hurt. How many of you have ever held a real sword in your hand? Several years ago, we were with a man who was a collector. He had a Crimean cavalry saber. The thing had a blade on it that long and was that wide. It was the biggest sword I think I'd ever seen that I could actually reach out and touch. I picked that thing up, and it was just like, he he laughed, and he says, feels good, doesn't it? I said, I can't believe how balanced this thing is. It's almost like not having, he said, it's built to work. Now, be careful, you'll cut yourself. I said, okay, let me give it back. I I am not trained to handle this thing. God didn't send you out to slay the devil. That's his job. The work of the warrior. Read Ephesians chapter 6. The work of the warrior is prayer. How are you going to pray? If your expectations aren't here on earth you're not going to be under the influence of the Holy Spirit to pray for the things that God wants you to pray for. We desperately need to see some things happen in this nation if we're going to have our freedom to serve God very long. You better start praying. But you need to understand, God doesn't need the United States. As much as I love this country. But God needs his people to pray. 
when we do, God does miraculous things because it's according to his will. One more, and we're done. Let's read on, chapter two, verse 28. Again, another verse that is just taken totally out of context. And we know that all things work together for good. Everybody wants to put a period right there. God didn't put a period there. To them that love God, to them who are the called according to his purpose. For whom he did foreknow, he also did predestinate to be conformed to the image of his Son, that he might be the firstborn among many brethren. Moreover, whom he did predestinate, them he also called. Whom he called, them he also justified. And whom he justified, them he also glorified. Then we go back to where we began what shall we then say to these things if God be for us? Who can be against us? You see, we don't get these things and we wonder why the devil wins. Here's these things. Number one, are you living in hope of being set free from this sinful flesh and this sinful world in which we live, looking forward to that time when we shall receive the finished transaction and be glorified together with God in heaven. You know what? It's hard to think that way because we're so tied up with what's going on here right now. But that is the expectation of the Christian. Is my prayer truly guided by the Holy Spirit of God or is it gimme, 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 gimme? Or worse yet, God, don't you understand how difficult it is and you're just making it harder on me? Don't pray that way. That's blasphemy. Because he that cometh to God must believe that he is. God is. And he's the rewarder of them that diligently seek him. He is good. God cannot be anything but good. Because he's God. Well, then why do I have to suffer? Because he said so, that's why. You say, I, I don't like that. Tough. Because I'd rather trust him and suffer than try to solve the problem on my own. Because you'll suffer there too. A whole lot more than the other way. I'd rather suffer at his discretion than my own. Amen? I want my prayers to reflect his desires and not mine because he wants to conform me to his image. Now, if you've looked in the mirror of God's word, what is the first thing you understand? He's got a lot of work to do to make me look like what this says. How many would say, that's me, preacher, amen? He's got a lot of work 
to do with this life to make me look like this mirror shows. The reflection in this mirror is a reflection of the Lord Jesus Christ. But it says here, he did predestinate some. Now, we don't have time to argue with the Calvinists this morning, but they're wrong about just about everything, all right? Let's not even go there. This idea of predestination that is talked about here is once you get saved, God has a plan for you. His purpose for you is the same as it is for me. You know, so often, preacher, you know, it must be easier for you to live the Christian life than it is for me. Uh, I might say it this way, it's easier to appear that I live the Christian life. But as a human being, I face the same struggles you do. And we struggle together to be obedient to the Word of God. You see, I'm not a preacher unless God brings some people in to listen to me preach. Amen? That's what church is all about. And we work together to be conformed to the image of His Son. But you see, He predestined you. He's got a plan for your life. He wants to change what's there because, I don't know, many people just look at me blankly, when you read these words, it says he wants to be the firstborn among many brethren. Do you get what that's saying? Jesus says, I don't want to be in heaven alone. I didn't die on the cross for my own exercise. I died on the cross so that I could have many that I call brethren with me in heaven. And people go, uh, yep, okay. Jesus wants to call you his family. He wants to put his arm around you and say, my brother, my sister. I'll tell you what. That blows my mind. That is beyond my comprehension. As my preacher used to say, he knows everything about me, but he still loves me. I'll tell you what. I like that brother, Jesus. He wants to recognize me as part of his family in heaven before God. It's going to take all eternity for God to show all the good things he did through the lives of his children, of those that are part of his family. That's what eternity is going to be about, my friend. That's my expectation. And if I have to put up with a little suffering here on earth, I pray that I'll have enough grace to say, yes, Lord. I'll tell you, I have the testimonies, and we do record it in history, of thousands 
who named the name of Jesus Christ and suffered everything a human being can suffer. And we complain because I want to get a drink of water, but the preacher will look at me funny in the middle of the sermon. So I'll sit here and, and wait and waste away and dehydrate. No. Listen. We complain about the dumbest things, do we not? We get upset about the most trivial things in the world. But God wants to conform you and I to the image of His Son. And it says, because of these things, I don't have to worry about famine and nakedness and peril. I don't have to worry about being counted as sheep for the slaughter. I've been told by preachers, all those little children you're raising, they're just little martyrs. Hey, let me tell you something, my friend. If that's what God wants to do with them, so be it, because I want God's will to be done, not mine. But I'll tell you what, hasn't happened yet. They've all been in far more danger of mistakes that they have made than anybody persecuting Christians. And so, there's a lot of work to do. You want some expectations? Let me give them to you. What occurs in your life that is not matching up with these things that we've talked about is simply not from God. And it needs to be gotten rid of so that you can be conformed to the image of His Son, so that you can be praying under the influence of the Holy Spirit, so you can fulfill that plan, that predestination that God has in your life because He has predestined you, He has called you, He has justified you, and He wants to glorify you. Of course, what happens when God glorifies you? We cut to the book of Revelation, and it said their crowns they cast at his feet because the glory that he gives us belongs to him and him alone. I don't know about you, but I want to have something to throw at his feet on that day. And so I live a life in hope. And I ask God to teach me to pray under the influence of the Holy Spirit. And I want God to have His way in my life that I may be conformed to the image of His Son. And all God's people said, Dear Heavenly Father,